what role do you think robots will continue to play into our future? Probably lots of roles, honestly, because the the main idea is mostly we want to make things that are not really people, but can do things like people that can do the hard jobs we don't want. There's going to be a lot of that, giving them to do tasks, but at the same time, we as a species really want friends. Like, we really want to meet some intelligence that's not us. Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mara Lynn Johnstone, thank you so much for joining me on Speculative Sandbox today. How about we get started with uh, having you introduce yourself to our listeners and telling them about your favorite uh, your favorite projects and what you're currently working on? Sure. Hi, I'm Mara. I like to write science fiction and fantasy, and I have a great time doing it. Um, I tend to write from a place of fun and enjoyment. I'm not someone working through things or wanting to explore the darkness of humanity. I want to go on adventures and take people with me. Awesome. So I have fun. And uh, I've recently written a book where the robot was the main character and another book where a human was the main character, but humans are rare. So that's uh, sort of a different flavor than the uh, the usual human main character ones. And uh, I just came up with a a book of writing prompts for other people who need ideas for what to write about or who have way too many ideas, but want some new ones anyway, or who just want to gift ideas for their writer friends. I love that. What is maybe one of your favorite writing prompts from that book? Um, but the one that comes to mind first is just considering werewolves on the moon. Ooh. Because it's such such a, a can of worms of possibilities. Because you have to add more science to the whole thing than you would naturally expect. Like, okay, so what actually causes someone to turn into a werewolf? Is it the sunlight bouncing off the moon's surface? Is there something about moon rocks that makes somebody turn furry? Does that mean the moon rocks we brought to Earth are like, you know, reverse kryptonite that are going to give somebody superpowers? What does it mean? So Ooh. you can take it in a lot of interesting directions. I immediately thought, what if werewolves were actually a different species that originated on the moon? And right, yeah. That's why they would respond to because it's kind of silly when you think about how, like, I don't know, I'm jumping over to vampires real quick. I think vampires yeah. can't go out into the sun, but then the moon is reflecting the sun's light. Right. So shouldn't they also be at risk at night? <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's something special about the moon, I guess, or it's just, you know, really faint, like starlight is the same as sunlight, just really far away because stars and suns are the same thing. It's just distance. Do you think that weird things tend to happen when the moon is full because there's magical properties there? Or do you think people just go out when the moon is full? If I'm logical about it, I think people just notice it more because like something weird happens normally. Oh, is it a full moon? No. All right, whatever. But if it is a full moon, then aha, <laughs> that must <Yeah>. be why. <laughs> but it is fun to think about because like, surely there's got to be something special going on somehow. It's yeah. too cool otherwise. It's it's so cool. It's it's mm-hmm. one of those. Off- I one time we were walking and this I was doing a night hike and the moon came up over the mountain ridge. And it was the most stunning thing to see. And where I live, if you go hiking in the mountains, it's it's super, super dark. It's you, You're away from right. a lot of the light pollution. And I remember thinking, if I was of one of the ancient civilizations, like, I get it. Like, I get yeah. the obsession of the sky because it's stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the moon has such presence, you know, at nighttime, it's super dark. There's nothing else. It's some little skies. But then there's this thing is round like a face. What is it? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's gotta be a face. So I have some icebreaker questions for you, and then we're going to segue into our conversation today. So you ready? Sure. Okay. These are kind of light, fun ones just to warm you up. So the first one is, do you like summer or winter more? I like summer. I mean, plenty of people around me complain about the heat, but I love being warm. And uh, I have been known to sit reading, wearing a sweater and socks in 90 degree shade and be perfectly comfy. Because if I'm not moving around, then I'm not that hot. You know, that seems to be popular. I have a niece who is in college now, and I was told that wearing sweater in the middle of Phoenix, in the middle of summer, <laughs> is like in. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds like a heat stroke. <laughs> I think it depends on if you're in direct sun, if you're moving. There's <laughs> a mm-hmm. lot of factors. But... Yeah, absolutely. Okay. If you had to live during a worldwide apocalypse, would you prefer an alien invasion or a failed terraforming project? Ooh, interesting. Probably the alien invasion. It feels like there's more potential for doing something about it for that one. Ooh, Field terraforming just sounds like everything's bad and there's not much you can do to fix it, really. Yeah, I kind of picture a failed terraforming experiment being something where rather than us just trying to kind of clean up our carbon footprint to help with the global you know, climate crisis, but mm-hmm. we would rather try to just adjust Earth instead. So whether right. that be like a massive umbrella or, you know, something else that could have detrimental effects in other ways. I've seen theories where like you pump something into the upper Earth's atmosphere, but that mm-hmm. very thing could actually cause like a runaway, I don't right. know, ice age or whatever. But anyway. Yeah, and- there's, there's a lot of potential for overdoing it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then This one segues into our topic, which is what role do you think robots will continue to play into our future? Probably lots of roles, honestly, because the the main idea is mostly we want to make things that are not really people, but can do things like people that can do the hard jobs we don't want. So basically slaves we don't have to feel guilty about. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of that, giving them to do tasks. But at the same time, we as a species really want friends. Like we really want to meet some intelligence that's not us. Oh and like, yes. Yeah. So we like, create they, it instead. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> if we can't find it, we'll make it, Dagnabbit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today's topic, and we have a couple topics today. So actually, before I get to the topic itself, we were discussing NaNoWriMo and writing silly things. And I thought that was yes. a really fun thing to talk about here, especially because by the time this airs, it'll be, I believe, either end, sometime in August. So July will have finished. Camp NaNoWriMo would have wrapped up, but there'll be another NaNo, there'll be the, the formal NaNoWriMo Island. comes up in November. So um, talk to me about writing silly things and how you approach NaNoWriMo and, and the advice you have for writers. Sure thing. Yeah, it's been very helpful for me. The The main advice, the, the one thing I would advise someone who's just looking to get better at writing or enjoy it more or what have you, is to just write a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter, that you don't have to worry about it being good. Just have fun with it. Because that you can really easily just trick yourself into practicing if you're just having fun. And I've done NaNoWriMo as many times as I can, many years now. National Novel Writing Month every year. I've written a bad rough draft every November. And I've you know polished some up and made them into final drafts. And even the ones that I didn't really do that good a job on were fun. And mm -hmm. I explored the ideas and I wouldn't have gotten that far otherwise. And now I have a finished rough draft that I can come back to later. So I've written a lot more than I would have otherwise. And I've done things like NaNoWriMo uh, that <laughs> some friends years ago came up with something called February Fracas, where we would all get together in February, the shortest month of the year, therefore the easiest. And we would write something every day, anything, something. Just a paragraph. And I, the first time we did that, I may have been the only one who finished, but I had a great time because I just explored a bunch of little ideas in the, my notes file that I'd been thinking about and just whatever came to mind. And by the end of the month, I was writing just a bunch of little short stories about the same character and just exploring ideas. And those turned into a, enough of an idea that the next November I could write a whole novel about it. And I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't just been playing with the ideas. That's and really just, great. That makes me think yeah. of when children write. You know what I mean? When like especially yeah. kids that are passionate about writing, they don't know the rules. They don't know all the things that we kind of let get into our head when we're uh -huh. trying to write professionally. And they just it's the most creative experience. So basically it's a way of like hearkening back to that mindset. Exactly. Yeah. Embrace the childlike joy of writing. Just, you know, okay, what would be awesome? I'm gonna write about something awesome. It needs to have a dragon and a dinosaur and they should be friends. Great. Let's go with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just seriously just embracing things that you like and just writing it and not worrying about how good it is. Just get it down on the page. And first of all, it's probably going to be better than you think because it's going to be fun. And second of all, the first draft doesn't have to be good anyways. It really doesn't matter. Just get the idea down and just play with it and have fun with it. And you'll write so much more and have so much a better time of it all. That makes me oh, think There was of one a... anecdote that someone told me ages ago that fits this perfectly of a pottery class in some college somewhere mm -hmm. um, where the professor split the grades for the class and half of the class was going to be graded on making one perfect pot by the end of the semester. And the other half was going to be graded on just how many pots they made. And the first half of the class stressed about it and had a terrible time. And half of them had final projects that blew up in the kiln because they'd never practiced enough. They'd just been planning it and researching it and thinking and stressing. Whereas the other half had a great time. They made so many pots and some of them were deliberately terrible and some of them were actually pretty good. And by the end of the semester, they were making some that were better than the other group because they'd been practicing. Oh, and most importantly, wow. they've been having a great time. I love and that. If, I like to approach writing that way. Just write a bunch of stuff 
don't worry about it. Just get it done. Have fun. And it turns out so much better all around. That makes me think of an exercise. I I feel like I did this back in elementary school where they were trying to get us introduced to the idea of creative thinking. And um, and I'm going back to your your former, I guess the first part of your your discussion about exercising and and, um, just trying new things, like just being free about it. And what they would do is they give you a character, a location and like an obstacle. And mm-hmm. it's completely randomized and you have like the weirdest combinations, but then you have permission essentially to kind of break the rules, like the the rules of reality a sure. little bit and just have fun with it. And um, I think that would be a, like a fun game to play for writers who are kind of feeling in a funk and just want to just practice. Yeah, absolutely. Just like writing prompts and challenges and just weird things in general. Like those can be so much fun because you can be creative about it. Yes. And you know what's okay. So I actually listened to I Hear Voices with Will Friedle and Christy Carlson Romano. And they talk a lot about character development that I think is actually really insightful for writers because they're listening to the voice actor's perspective. But one of the things that they did as part of this huge competition that they're doing is they had a voice actor uh, they assign them like the size of their their fictional character, their origin, and like a line, and they had to be able to like manifest these these scenarios out of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that other industries are doing this too, right? It's part of the creative process, mm-hmm. and we as writers are providing that very fundamental foundation of the story. So of course we should also be deploying similar exercises because other all other aspects of the entertainment industry are doing this as well. So it's definitely not something that's different. Uh, we should definitely embrace it. Yeah. And just it's it's fun. <laughs> you can have yeah. a lot of good times just doing things you wouldn't you know think of otherwise. And you go, oh, well, all right, I'm gonna try this. And <laughs> this looks fun. So today's focus is really interesting because I feel like I've talked before at least about things like artificial intelligence. We've talked about like robots in that perspective. But this particular episode focuses on character development through the specific lens of robots. So what interested you in this topic? Well, I didn't used to really know how to write robots. I couldn't really wrap my head about it, figure out which angle to approach them from. But when I figured out that starting with their programming and their function, what they were originally designed to do gives a really good baseline. And then you can consider whether they actually do what they were meant for, or if they do something different, that's when it gets really interesting to me. Because you can have a robot designed for one specific thing and doing something wildly different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes it can play together in really interesting ways. Like they might have a, a way to be good at this weird thing that you wouldn't have thought of, but it's, it's part of the original programming. Or they picked up that programming as something related, or they just had the freedom to choose something that they were never allowed to do just because they love it. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about robots, are you talking about like computer programming, sentient programming, physical f- robot forms that are uh, mostly the, the physical, mostly okay. the physical ones that can walk around and interact with humans, but the computerized version works too. Okay, just anything that's you know allowed to to think on its own, basically, because well, if it doesn't have as much free will, then there's not as much leeway, but it can still be just as interesting mm-hmm. if you try to get okay. I am a thing. I am programmed to do this thing. Okay, but we want you to do this thing. I don't know how to do this thing. Surely you do. It's just mm-hmm. like this. I guess. <laughs> I so- guess I could make a sandwich by painting with my paintbrush, painting the food onto the bread. I guess I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
I tried to look at different types of, of robots and how they're used character development wise. So let me know what you think of these categorizations and if we should add to them or discuss any variations of them. Mm-hmm. So the first one I pulled is heartless killing machine. So mm-hmm. Terminator, Robocop, all that stuff. Right. Um, a tool. So I think of the AI bots in Interstellar that mm-hmm. uh, that were programmed to be sarcastic, but they're there to kind of supply um, an aid for their mm-hmm. education and research. But I also think, as you were saying, or like companionship almost mm-hmm. because they're there with you. And then a childlike sense of wonder. And that's mm-hmm. where WALL-E comes in. I could think yeah. of several other, I'm trying to remember, there was a robot. Um, Johnny Five? Short yes, circuit. Johnny Five. <laughs> yes. Love Johnny Five. Yes. And so what do you think of those categories, categorizations? And did I miss anything? There's probably something else, but that does pretty much narrow it down to the basics, I think. Yeah, the ones that are just here to do a job, the ones that are here to be scary, and the ones that are learning things and experiencing and just, you know, we can experience things through them and see how cool it all is. Do you think, we? I, I really want to go back to what you mentioned before about how like humans are kind of like, we, we're lonely and we want to create yeah. a companion. <laughs> um, do we manifest that in other ways besides robots that you we know? We do, we definitely do, because uh, there's... There's this whole trend of humanity just finding personalities in stuff. Like we have the thing where we'll see pictures and and look at the moon and see a face and look at the clouds and see pictures. But we'll also look at objects and go, that looks friendly. I like the shape of that tree. And, you know, we will just bond with objects. Like everyone's got, you know, naming their car. I have a Roomba downstairs with googly eyes on it because of course I do. And just like everyone's got a favorite thing that has somehow feels like it has personality, you know? Yeah. Pet rocks. Pet rocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I always remember like... in second grade, we had a pet rock project and we everyone freaked out when the teacher brought out cotton balls that could be like the pillows for their beds. <laughs> 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 and um, it's so funny because I grew up in California, so we um, had a lot more smooth, polished rocks that I could remember. And then coming out to Arizona, there's a lot of gravel um, DG uh deconstructed granite i don't know if i could like that yeah yeah and so all the rocks are jagged they're like Mm. violent rocks uh so i (laughs) never made a you almost have to buy like the smooth nice pebbles or you have to go out i think to the hiking trails and you'll find yeah and that that says a lot about the environment too it gives you such an impression the rocks here aren't friendly (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't have thought of that but yeah is it because california's got the ocean (laughs) everything's Mm -hmm. all smooth oh my that's so funny So what California has friendly rocks. I wouldn't have thought of it. <laughs> they're smooth. They're just yeah. they're just smoother. Uh, who is, what is your favorite robot and why? Probably Johnny Five. He's the first one that comes to mind because I saw that movie ages ago. I'm currently wearing a t-shirt that is someone made from the movie. It's got a picture cartoon of him, very good drawing, and it says, Hey laser lips, your mother was a snowblower. And <laughs> I love it. It was a present. <laughs> no, I saw that a long time ago. My memory's a little shadies on about it. But was that the one like they they did this a lot and they still do where you think Johnny Five is gonna die at one point? Yes. And then it, and then yeah, it was it was so so emotionally wrecking. Like the climax of the movie spoiler for anyone who hasn't you know seen this movie from the 80s he does not die uh it looks like he gets blown up because the military is trying to take back their malfunctioning war machine who is trying to be all innocent and cheerful now and they just shoot him because they can't catch him and treat him like they're supposed to but turns out that wasn't him that he built a fake one of himself with the robot parts from the back of the truck during the chase scene and it's pretty awesome 
I, and he gets yeah. to go and he gets to go on and be in one of the rare good sequel movies because short circuit 2 is excellent as well <laughs> that's wonderful true. well when we talk about personifying objects watching these movies as kids certainly doesn't help <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> robot <Yeah>. friends <laughs> so let's look at this from a writer's perspective and unpack these three categories so how can a writer approach writing a heartless killing machine well I suppose I would start with what it's meant for, what what it thinks its purpose in life is, because obviously it's going to be pretty straightforward. Like if it's Terminator, or like it's an assassin sent on a particular mission. Okay, my entire existence is to kill this one human. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to be distracted by literally anything. Like it's not going to care about lots of stuff. But there could be some with more generalized programming where they're limited to like patrol or guard or just be in wars and what have you. And that makes for a lot more leeway for what they would care about and, you know, decide to do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, just the circumstances that it's put into can make for some leeway. Like, okay, well, you can't actually do the thing you were supposed to do, but maybe you can do this other thing and see what happens. Or someone tries to hack their programming so that they can actually have more free will or so, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. So my, so I guess when it comes to character development and heartless killing machines, can they experience any sort of character arc without the interference of a programmer? Hmm, yeah, it's definitely possible. It's going to be hard given that they're not meant for it. Like the whole point of most of them is that they're not supposed to <laughs> to change or just go against programming. But depending on how they're built, they could certainly have some wiggle room to learn and grow. And you know, some of them are meant to be learning machines just so that it can be better killing machines. But maybe the programmers didn't really take that into account what they would learn. And I mean, like Johnny Five is a good example because he starts off as this thing that has no free will. He's just a machine for the military. They just made this new thing and they're showing off and he gets hit by lightning. And that would be the programmer interference at this point. But he does get to learn a lot of stuff. And he learns basically the value of life. And uh, that wasn't something that his uh, programmers wanted him to learn, but I can see it happening organically without any interference. Just like sometimes robots will make connections and leaps in logic that we didn't expect and we can't argue against it. <laughs> it makes sense. Like, gee, I'm not going to kill this other thing because doing so would also kill me and this other thing, or it would have all these other consequences that are worse. Mm -hmm. Whereas the humans in charge would go, no, that doesn't matter. We got to, you know, make all this destruction because that's our enemies. But if we kill these enemies, it'll also kill those people. And surely that's more important. So, yeah, there's there's definitely some interesting directions that it could go. It's a lot like of a it philosophical debate. If you can sure. even engage in that with the robot. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> get them to second guess their, their directive. Right. And that's always fun, too. OK, we're going to get past this one by doing it some sort of sphinx riddle kind of thing and make it you know short out and <laughs> can't figure it out. <laughs> that's always fun. Terminator. So I haven't actually seen the first one. I've seen the second one. Um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator was bad in the first one. Right. And then right, he's a yeah. friend in the second one. Was that due to remind me? Is that due to programming? Yeah, I think I think if I remember correctly, there were two different actual robots. They just were the same model, so they both looked oh. like Arnie. But if I remember correctly, um, good guys sent the second one, like reprogrammed it to help. Okay, I think that's how it happened because there's a lot of time travel, and it was either like his dad from the future or himself from the future, something like that. Mm -hmm. 
or his kid from the future. I don't know. But someone from the future sent a good one to protect because there's a fancier liquid metal assassin robot coming. Oh, yes. And, yeah. That, that was, that was I always fun. remember that scene where the the other the other what's his name? Was he a name? Uh, what their name? I don't know. Name? I just remember the guy that showed up in the X Files later on. Yes. Oh my gosh. His running scene. Apparently, he learned yeah. to not breathe during the running scene, so he looked really robotic. <laughs> I remember being terrified of that guy. Oh and yeah, yeah. He did really well. <laughs> and well, what's funny is from a psychological standpoint is that I was terrified of him, the human. Right? It wasn't right. a robot. Of course, yeah. when he started shifting, of that's also terrifying. But I remember being just terrified by like his eyes mm-hmm. and his expression and the way he moved. So it is yeah. kind of it's interesting when you think about like what scares us as robots and also what continues to scare us as humans. And almost like we have to pull from what scares us as humans. Yeah, because there's definitely a lot stuff. of different things that could scare us. And a lot of the time, if it's like, yeah, like you were saying, like even looking human, he was like a creepy human because that gives off the vibes of, OK, this is another human who maybe is going to murder you. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. scary. <laughs> yes. And then RoboCop had a, I feel like he had a character arc. I've seen two different versions of RoboCop and I don't remember oh, yeah. if I even liked the remake. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like the actor who played him and I wish him mm-hmm. lots of success. I feel like he's kind of under, what do you call it? Under Underrated. He's been underrated. in a lot of stuff. He's in a lot of good things. I, I'm, I'm like surprised that he's not like a major Marvel <laughs> like superstar yet. I think but... he's a minor Marvel superstar. Okay, now. In... fair enough. Yeah, good he's in him. one of them. I liked him when he was in um, House of Cards. He played um, a politician in that one. I thought he was really good in that one. Anyway, um, that RoboCop has a, is part human still. Right. So when you talk about character arcs, it's the humanity side that it's appealing mm-hmm. to. So if you take like just a robot robot, what are the elements that you have to incorporate to give it an arc? Well, I think a lot of it is usually just the robot either deciding what they want to be or discovering that they can do things that they weren't really expecting to do. Mm-hmm. And it can have the the innocent joy and, and childlike discovery, or it can just be really stressful for the robot going, gee, I meant to do this one thing and I cannot do this one thing. Crisis. And a lot of it is just interesting exploration of possibilities because, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's so many different directions it could go depending on what the robot is meant for and what it ends up, what circumstances it finds itself in. If you wanted to create, okay, so I'm creating a kind of a case study here. Let's say that you wanted to create a heartless killing machine robot, like mm-hmm. for your character, your character does. Mm-hmm. Um there is a benefit to having a robot take in new and take in and process new information, especially so it can navigate different obstacles in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And sure. I think there's some things that could be purely calculating. Like if you're trying, if you're an assassin robot and you're trying to take out someone across the courtyard, you don't want to aim through 10 people to get right. through them, right? You need to be able to work around that. But at the same time, you also don't want your heartless killing machine assassin robot to be manipulated. Let's say like you're the villain. You're Mm -hmm. like, I don't want some good guy to come in here and influence my robot. Mm -hmm. So I don't want my robot to be malleable. I want my robot to be cold and heartless. So it's like, where do you meet in the middle? So your cold, heartless robot Mm -hmm. doesn't like start taking out civil, like innocents, innocent people. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, that, that is an interesting balance. And I think a lot of it comes down to the choices of the humans who programmed it, because they would be the ones to say, okay, if you want your your goal is to kill one human try to avoid killing other humans because that just means problems for us. Mm-hmm. But if 
you know, one of them jumps in front of him and you can't get him. Well, it's, I guess it's okay to kill one other human, I guess. <laughs> so like that would be their, their parameters that they would set. And then it's just a matter of just how you decide the plot goes and, and like maybe the characters find out about the parameters and like, okay, this is our important political person that we are trying to protect. We know that it will shoot through one bodyguard so that the, everybody needs to go in pairs. <laughs> so you block him with two of you at once. And <laughs> you know, maybe they try to work with that. And then they, it can become a, a really silly arms race of you know collateral damage that's acceptable or just, you know, okay, how does it decide what is human? Can it be confused by mannequins and like oh. other robots that happen to look human? Like what, what do we have to work with here? Because there, even with the really solid rules, there's there's wiggle room. I just keep thinking, of course, in movies, robots have permission to just wreck shit, right? Like it's <laughs> they blow up the whole city if they have to. In the real world, we use robots now for um, SWAT, right? To go in and right. disarm bombs and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. they're very limited to their one, you know, single, not single, but like their direct purpose. Mm -hmm. And to me, in the world of espionage, I would think that you wouldn't want to create a huge ruckus while you're establishing whatever it is that your mission is. I don't know if mm -hmm. people are over in Russia, you know, all those things. And so would it be more effective to use robots in a more limited way to not create like create a scene, but also be able to maintain human safety, right? Like rather mm -hmm. than sending humans in. I always think about that. And then I always think if your robot gets captured and you don't want people to hack your robot, then having mm -hmm. like a, what do you call it? A, a, a dead button? A, de a dead Yeah, button. yeah. <laughs> the cyanide pill for the robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then what would keep other technologies from wi fiing in? You know, like mm -hmm. airstriking that robot. Basically, get like, do you need to be physically plugged in like anymore to like really right. affect a robot? I don't. Yeah, know it really depends on what kind it is because you can have the mindless ones that are just remote controlled. Or you can give it some programming and just say, go have fun, <laughs> go do the thing, try not to mess up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so moving on from Heartless Killing Machines to tools. So mm -hmm. the AI bot in Interstellar is my one go-to just because I thought that there was something really charming about the humans in this world programming sarcasm into mm -hmm. those bots so that when you're on a spaceship with these bots, you kind of feel like there's some sense of humanity. Yeah. So um, what do you, what, what do you think of character? Is there character development opportunities here? Or do you think that they're more functional? Well, I think it's probably easier to develop the relations of the other human characters towards the tools. Cause you know, without the you know, programming change, then it's not as likely to change on its own, but that's not necessarily true either because, you know, there's always potential for things to change depending on, you know, whether it's meant to learn or not too. Mm -hmm. And whether it has any underlying code that's like, okay, here are your priorities. You know, protecting humans is one of those included. Protecting yourself is included. Other things like that. And just depending on how things go, like what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And I've certainly read things where just, you know, the robot was left alone for long enough that it just its code kind of changed over time just it it not necessarily malfunctioned but it just you just made some decisions and <laughs> learned how to think and do things that it wasn't meant to just because of sheer force of time is and, this fiction uh, or real life and in, in fiction okay 
And it, it probably happened in real life too. I don't know. I'm like the, the space exploring robots. <laughs> yeah, like, and like and where we are now, it's more a matter of like, okay, something's just gonna go wrong at some point. It'll be interesting. <laughs> we'll figure yes. it out. Well, speaking of like uh manufactured character development, I guess you can say one of the space explorer robots saying itself happy birthday. Yeah. Which was clearly something humans programmed into it, but it was, you know creating a personification or when mm-hmm. when we say goodbye to these robots i've talked about this on a previous episode and i get so teary because yeah. i keep thinking of this robot that's literally just alone isolated on a rock uh-huh. uh far 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 away we'll never see it like we'll never be in its physical presence it, it accomplished something so great and now mm-hmm. it's like thank you for your service your time is done and the sun right. sets you know and i'm just like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like and like we know that it doesn't have enough self-awareness to realize that it's alone but that doesn't matter we care about it so much just for it and like there was even i saw a tv commercial about the robot lawnmowers they did a tribute to it like all they made they programmed all their lawnmowers to sing happy birthday oh <laughs> it was adorable well what about like the robots that um vacuum and yeah. pe- people will <laughs> people have okay. done ridiculous what they'll do is though this is i guess this is combining a tool with a heartless killing machine but they'll put the knife, <laughs> <a> knife. <laughs> where they tape the knife and then they put it in a thing with balloons and then they like figure out who's little what are they called is it a dyson no there's a bunch of different the roomba is probably the big one okay they start you know as they turn around and move around they start knifing all the balloons so it becomes like a competition (laughs) i think that's hilarious (laughs) yes i've seen a video of a a duel okay i was the red balloon or the blue balloon gonna be the one that wins and it's just very (laughs) silly and there's there's a delightful range of fiction on the internet nowadays of uh, the uh, adventures of stabby the roomba on various spaceships and that is a great source of joy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, do you have any other um, any other remarks about robots as tools and character development before we move on? Well, I, I thought of a story that I wrote ages ago in college that um, th- if I ever come back to these two side character robots are going to have way more focus because they're more interesting than the main character. That um, the two robots that get kind of thrown together by the plot are one that is a tree trimming robot that is just meant to be a tool that just does the gardening and another one that was meant to be a stunt bot from movies. And they have just entirely different worldviews. And it's really interesting to watch them try to interact with each other and just not be on the same page at all. Because the one who's just a tool is like is perfectly happy just doing his function and just caring for the trees. And he's got all these blades in his arms, but he would never harm anyone with it. No, no, it was very strict programming about that. And he has a programmed robot religion that says he will only go to robot heaven if he is a good servant to the humans. Oh. And oh. the the stunt bot from the movies, he thinks that's the weirdest, weirdest thing ever because he was he doesn't work in movies anymore. He got rescued and you know sent to just live with the human and be you know more human like. But he still thinks all the movie tropes are real, <laughs> so he doesn't really have a, a normal grasp on reality. But just the two of them just have conversations that just go absolutely nowhere because they just can't agree on things because their worldviews are so different. That's and that kind of thing is fascinating to me just because like, yeah, that can that can interact. And then there's a killer cyborg in the same story. And, you know, he's just out to just assassinate somebody. But he's also he started human and he also has a, the hobby as a cook. So he can use the blades on tomatoes and stuff, too. And just 
it's really fun to just add dimensions like that. Well, it, it's so interesting because people always talk about like, you know, humans are clearly different and superior to uh, robots. Robots are just <laughs> blah, 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 you know. And I always think, though, like, especially when you talk about like the programming and conditioning of a robot, like what are its fundamental purpose and what has it been programmed to do and how does it respond to its you know outside environment? I think that robots are are very much like humans because humans made robots and humans mm -hmm. make robots, you know, to learn things the way we learn things. Yeah. So of course there's going to be that parallel. And, mm -hmm. um, and so then it's not surprising then that we kind of project additional personifications onto these characters. Yeah. Cause when we're trying to give the robots any kind of intelligence and, you know, everything that makes it a person, we only have ourselves to base that on. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. interesting to see how close they get and how just they go in directions that we wouldn't expect and all that. Yeah, like what if a dog made a robot? Right? I feel That'd like they're very different. <laughs> the robot would probably like help the dog with like certain, you know, triggers or um, stimulations that make the dog happy or is useful mm -hmm. to the dog. So whether that's, you know, making sure that there's food or, you know, mm -hmm. throw the ball, I don't know. I'm just kind of making stuff up. I'm not a dog. But I yeah, feel well, like my first thought is the dog would make a robot that would just be someone to play with it all the time because oh. the humans are busy. <laughs> a play, a play, oh, a play robot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because that's what they want. Because the humans, the dogs follow the humans around because the humans are their alphas. You know, they're the important one who tells them what needs to be done. But then they're all sad and forlorn when the humans got to go do things by themselves. And the dog wants a friend to play with mm -hmm. <laughs> and snacks. <laughs> so then, then I, I thought of an idea. Uh, it was the Haley Joel Osmond. Was it just called artificial intelligence? He's a robot, and he oh he's yeah, like AI. a child. AI? Yeah, Robin Williams was in that too, right? Uh, no, that's the other one. No, that was my centennial. It was right. um, yes. Jude Law. Jude Law played yeah. a sex worker robot. Right. Yeah, that and was really interesting. <laughs> it was so interesting. Um, Haley Joel Osment. I don't remember what his function is, but he is with a with a family, right? And like the yeah, living he boy. Was he was meant to be a, a child replacement, basically, because the family, mm -hmm. their kid was in a coma forever and the mom was That's really right. lonely. So she bought a robot child and then her oh. kid woke up and then she had to get rid of her robot child. I don't think I could handle watching that movie now. No, I it's, it's very no intense. <laughs> well, like you have, you have robots all serving functions, just like how we're talking about a dog creating a play, a play mm -hmm. robot. We have a sex worker robot. We have a, a, a child robot. Mm -hmm. um, and then the movie itself goes through Haley Joel Osment's uh, robot character and its development. So mm -hmm. I feel like the childlike sense of wonder application provides like a, a lot of opportunity for character mm -hmm. development. So tell me what your thoughts are on, on that. Yeah, the, the childlike wonder is always just a fascinating thing because, yeah, back to Johnny Five and, and Wally, who's definitely based a little bit <laughs> visually on Johnny Five, just there's always something so charming about a being experiencing something for the first time and not knowing what it is. Mm -hmm. Just like, oh, hey, here's a butterfly. Yay, look at it go. And just learning everything about the world. And it makes you want to just, you know, help them along and, and teach them things, you know, like a child. But they can also be really, you know, dangerous as well. So it's an interesting balance. But just seeing something learn about reality is really interesting to me. Because mm -hmm. as a kid, I always liked, like, writing instruction manuals for whatever reason. Just, like, you know, explaining things to people. And I would enjoy just imagining, okay, I'm stuck in traffic. What if I had my alien friend in the seat next to me and I had to explain cars? And like, that's just fun. And that, that is fun. Oh, that's yeah. Fun. And just like someone learning something for the first time, but it's a thing that you consider normal that really makes you appreciate it more, you know? So how long 
looking at AI now as an example, how long can a robot stay in a childlike form? Like given mm. its very rapid absor- absorption of, of information. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not all that long, honestly. Like I can imagine robots that are meant to be eternal children and then they would just end up being kind of weird <laughs> children. Like they would still learn and grow and develop, but they might, if the humans are trying to keep them as children, they might end up kind of weirdly stunted, you know, Ooh, that's kind of like a, like a child vampire who's, you know, a, a mentally several centuries old, but still looks like a kid and they're kind of bitter about it. Oh, I feel so many ethical things. And I, I was yeah. way young when I watched the AI movie. Um, I would have thought about this more. Yeah. Um, all the ethics of, of, creating a i guess i don't want to say a race like just a service where you're mm-hmm. keeping something infant and you're it's like is it yeah. infantilized infantilization maybe or something like that but yeah. yeah it doesn't sound very nice to the being in question does it yeah it's like in a position of constant i don't maybe oppression i don't know maybe people i, I would like to believe that people are very nurturing yeah, like ideally it's going to be happy forever, right? Because it's a kid and being cared for by its parents forever. But real kids are being cared and trained how to someday be an adult. Mm-hmm. So it's not the same experience exactly. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like creating a new person and deliberately uh, adjusting their mentality to make them perpetually childlike. I mean, I can think of some uh, real life conditions where someone would need their parents help their entire life. And it seems kind of like we're making the robots like that on purpose, which is a strange thing to do on purpose. Well, thinking of other things that parents have done on purpose, there's been so many cases now. And I'm forgetting what the word is when when a parent purposely makes her child sick so they can. Yeah, Munchausen. Yes. Yeah. Um, So then you got to really question the person. Mm-hmm. who is making that decision. I think the one circumstance that I think is very beneficial is when, like, for example, there are um, patients with Alzheimer's or patients with dementia, and um, they're comforted with like those baby dolls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that serves a very specific function to help like with, I mean, they have, clearly they have a medical issue that that's supposed to address. Um, but I think in the case of, you know, Maybe, do you ever see us having this kind of technology in the future where people go, yeah, I think I want to make a, I have a robot child. It's definitely possible. It's definitely something that some people would want to do. But yeah, now that we're talking about the ethics of it, it doesn't sound entirely fair to the robots, does it? Then we're going to be talking about, uh, there was another episode um, that will come out before this one, which is a continuation of specifically the artificial intelligence discussion and chat GPT and how it's affecting writers. And one of the hypothetical questions that was submitted by a listener that um, we ended up talk- discussing is when we get to the point where AI is becoming so prevalent, what protect what protects AI from being um, taken advantage of or something mm-hmm. like that? So then in this case, what protects these child robots? Or, or do they have any protection whatsoever because mm-hmm. they're just considered ro- a robot species? Yeah, like in the movie, there was no protection whatsoever. They're absolutely meant to be disposable, which is just, you know, horrendous for everyone involved. Because like, you're, here's the thing that you're supposed to bond with and treat with like your child, and then you get rid of it. No, no that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, yeah, that's that's bad for everybody. But I don't know what kind of setup would make for a better version, unless you can have a child robot that also grows up to be a human adult robot. And like, I don't know how that would work either. Inter- yeah, kind of strange. 
Well, then I'd like to go lean on at least what I've seen. I haven't been to Japan, but Japan has a lot more like robots in their mm-hmm. like everyday lives. And a lot of them seem to be like entertainment based. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, kind of cute design for the sake mm-hmm. of joy. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that. I, I, I want to be able to experience that myself to see what it's like. Uh, I feel like here in America, we kind of have this like, do robots bad, you know, um, what <laughs> yeah. the robot uprising, artificial intelligence, destroying lives, which, you know, yeah. it is, it is artificial intelligence led to a lot of people losing their jobs. Yeah, um, not in the way we expected to either. Like robots are stealing our jobs. We skipped a few steps. <laughs> yes. Well, and they're stealing the artistic jobs. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm like, what's supposed to work at all? <laughs> supposed to give you the, the dumb shitty jobs and then we can pursue art. <laughs> So I I, I kind of want to get to know like the Japanese like application of robots more because it seems like they they've explored a more optimistic kind of positive incorporation of it. But that's again mm-hmm. I'm just taking it to listen. I'm just taking what I've kind of seen. Um, I would love to yeah, hear more. It does, from someone it does who's seem been there. like yeah culturally there's more appreciation for cutesy things, and here we're just more macho, I guess. <laughs> I yeah, ours is all like form over like no function. It's like function over form. <laughs> Right, which is just <laughs> disappointing, honestly. <laughs> so le- looking at all these character archetypes, what does this say about the human experience and our relationship with otherness? So I thought about this question a little bit. And so here's my take, and then I want to hear yours and kind of go from there. So mm-hmm. my thought was that humans tend to personify robots, which we've discussed either in reality or for stories, and how they choose to personify robots can be a reflection on how they perceive general otherness. So some people can see robots as children and opportunity to nurture and teach. Some Mm -hmm. people see robots as weapons of mass destruction. Some people see robots as slaves, and some people see robots as tools for education and advancement. And of course, I think um, it's a combination of what we project and the possibilities that we foresee, but then also what we observe, right? So like when we see that AI is having a negative effect on people's livelihoods, we're going to then naturally think, oh no, what I I have bad feelings about what the next step of how robots would be used. So Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the mirror for humanity in all directions, really, because it really depends on how the robot is used or put into the world, like what intentions are what really going to be reflected back. Cause you've got the ones like, okay, this one is meant to do something bad. <laughs> this one is here to go, go kill somebody or cause other destruction. Then, you know, that says a lot about the people that uh, employed it. But then if you've got the ones that are just, you know, treated with compassion, that says a different thing about humanity, about how we want to be nice and kind and friendly and just the things that where they get set up into situations where they weren't meant for that I think can be the most telling because you can have situations like, like what really happened with that one robot thing that someone meant to, to like a hitchhiking robot. They send it traveling around the world to, to learn things and it was oh. really cool. And there was pictures all over the internet and then some people just broke it. Did it do jerks. well in Europe or something? And then it came to America. Something like and that. It, I think. it started getting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like that says depressing things about certain types and <laughs> regions of humanity, but we learn things from that. And mm-hmm. and the same can happen the other direction too, because you've got, you know, your killing machine that gets you know, broken and it can no longer damage anyone. And people are being really nice to it now and trying to nurse it back to health, but not so that it hurts people, just so they can maybe help on the farm or whatever, you know? And, and that says a lot because maybe it can learn to have a different function. And that's just really charming. So like, there's the, definitely the potential to reflect the whole range of humanity, the good and the bad and the weird and in between and everything. And it's just a matter of which direction things go. And that's that's always really interesting for the potential of it all. 
And I, I always enjoyed like the, the sarcastic, sassy robots with personality because that, mm-hmm. that is always fun. Yes. So then what society enables a robot to flourish in a positive way? Well, I think um, probably more of the goodness <laughs> and uh, good treatment of others than the bad, because the, the robot would need some sort of role in society and ideally potential to not be stuck in that role as it you know learns and, and everyone changes. Um, yeah, just like <laughs> not less of the, okay, it's bad, we've got to shoot it. And more of the, hey, this is a this is a being that doesn't know what pop tarts are. Let's teach it pop tarts. <laughs> so then, conversely, what kind of robot best serves humans, human society? Well, there's certainly lots of different answers depending on the circumstances. Probably the ones that I would like to think serve best are the ones that have just enough leeway to decide their own correct interpretations to their tasks. Ideally, the, the ones that make good sense, because you can have the ones that like, okay, here's your job, go do your exact job. And then the robot goes, wait a minute, but if I do it exactly like you told me to, then all these consequences would happen that you didn't foresee. Like, I think that kind of robot is going to be a lot more helpful than the one that does mindlessly what it's told, or the one that's just bounce around with no particular goal. Mm, yes, the ability, to, the ability to learn, and yeah, regardless, because yeah, like that's that's how humans work, you know. Like mm-hmm. you got to learn and adapt and change, and that's that's an important part of being a thinking being, I think. Well, especially with OSHA, right? Like if you're going to sure. have any robots in the workplace, you don't want a robot to do its job despite the fact a human leg might be on the way. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, like the, the most basic of mechanics that we have, like my garage door has a sensor. To know mm, something oh, in the way. I have so much anxiety about garage doors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> since the movie, I think, uh, Scary Movie or Scream. I can't remember which one oh. it was where the girl got caught in the garage. Anyway. Yeah, um, it was scary. <laughs> So we talked a little bit, you talk, you mentioned a little bit about repetitive labor, but there was a circumstance where an AI robot was programmed to do repetitive labor work. And after 15 minutes, it came to the logical conclusion to just <laughs> abort itself. So what so are your thoughts funny. on that? <laughs> like that? That's that's amazing, honestly. And like I hope that people learn from that, that humans shouldn't be doing this kind of garbage, <laughs> but they probably didn't. Like, well, then so that funny. makes I would me... Love, I would love to know the specific logic that that robot came to, because like, obviously, like, the humans want it to do this job and it would get the humans approval or what have you. It's not getting money, I'm sure, but like there's there's some sort of point to it. But if it just decided that this is boring, like how how did it come to be able to decide that something is boring? Yeah, exactly. So then did was it did its original programming have joy worked into it? Right. At some yeah, point? that's the thing. Like what actually was in that programming? So and that, wanna... reminds me, that reminds me of something that uh, someone told me when I was talking about robots online at one point, because I wrote about a robot that uh, in, in the book that came out recently, which is called Spectacular Silver Earthling, named after the main character. Um, he started as a search and rescue robot. And that really just informed his entire personality. And someone gave me the suggestion because I wasn't sure if he'd be good at dancing or not. I couldn't think of a logic for it, but someone said, like, actually, that could fit because I work in robot research and stuff. It's, it could be because in a lot of dances, there's one who leads and one who follows. Okay. And that could tie into being able to lead humans out of dangerous areas and also being able to predict what they're going to do so that you can follow them and help protect them. And like, that's really cool. I wouldn't have thought of that. And that's the kind of thing that I love, just like the ways that you can use the original programming 
for so many different things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in the book, in the book, he ends up doing entirely different stuff because he gets to work in space television now that he's a free citizen. And his original just observational humor for just keeping the humans cheerful as they're being rescued has turned into the most biting sarcasm and, and all the <laughs> egotistical wit, which is just delightful fun. And uh, it's fun for me to see how the original tasks can turn into something entirely different and it makes sense because he's got such a chip on his shoulder about just okay humans keep getting into really stupid dangerous scenarios they need to quit doing that because it keeps being my problem (laughs) (laughs) and like that's true we really do that (laughs) we go into stupid situations all the time and someone whose job it is to protect us and rescue us from that is gonna be rightfully annoyed by it and then he ends up being in a situation where it's not his job anymore hooray but then the the tv show that they're filming stuff for is on a, a different planet and then oh no it's dangerous dang damn it <laughs> it's a problem again so if we want to remove humans from like the dangerous situations of like back lab- like backbreaking labor or you know repetitive labor things that you know we could use a robot to do in mm-hmm. this case we had the robot uninspired and mm-hmm. pieced out but let's yeah. say we we want to remove humans from from that line of work. Mm-hmm. So then, how do we? How would we get? What what's the right situation then to get a robot in into that place so that we can we humans can start pursuing other forms of you know enrichment? Right. Well, if think- a robot wants to be more inspired, as demonstrated mm-hmm. by the AI. Right. Well, the nice thing about robots is that they it's not all or nothing when it comes to how much humanity and sentience they have. Because as weird as it sounds, perhaps that task just needed a stupider robot. <laughs> One with less <laughs> less free will. Maybe not so much less, AI. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because, uh, and, and like with my tree trimmer robot, like maybe it just needed different programming so it can more readily appreciate the boring tasks that we don't like. Maybe, you know, it just needed some other reason to do it. Because I got the idea for a robot religion from a college philosophy class, which is just fascinating to me because I would not have thought of that. But yeah, that's that's certainly one way to to motivate them, isn't it? Yeah, they're not getting is. paid in money, and you know they don't have any other things. Well, you can you can hardwire it into their thinking that something good is going to happen to them later on if they do these things. So, Mara, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. Um, uh, what are you, what's, uh, <laughs> I tripped over. I had two questions in my head right there. So what advice do you have for writers who want to write robot characters? Well, I think mainly start with what it was designed to do and why it exists in the world and then go from there because you can branch out into some really interesting directions. Just you know, figure out what it was originally intended for and that'll tell you part of what it how it views the world and what it's able to do and maybe what it values and wants and then you know throw some curveballs in there (laughs) because that's when it gets really interesting if it uh, is in a totally different circumstance and has to adapt to it or if it's got the ability to choose to do something else like you've got like one of those other uh uh, the search and rescue robots decided to like, okay, the first thing I do when I'm free is I want to go do paintball because I want to shoot things at the humans because I'm not allowed to hurt them normally. And I'm really annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. What I get to throw things at humans. Yes. <laughs> All right. Do you have any final remarks or send offs to, uh, to leave with our listeners? Just to follow your joy. Just do the writing that is fun 
don't worry right away on whether it's perfect right at the gate. Nothing has to be perfect right at the right at the gate. Just write things that you enjoy because then other people will also enjoy them and have fun with it. Because if you're not having fun, then, well, that's that's a big waste. <laughs> enjoy it as much as you can. And how can people find you? Um, I am all over the Internet. If you can <laughs> spell my name correctly, Mara Lynn Johnstone. That's M-A-R-A Mara. And uh, John Stone with an E at the end, actually spelled the way that it sounds, John Stone. And oh, the, the new book, Spectacular Silver Earthling. Very fun. Uh, it's a, the best description I had of it was if you combined, uh, took dirty jobs and put it in space and gave the main character robot kind of a combination of Bender from Futurama and Murderbot. And it's kind of like that. Or if you took the the uh, <laughs> crash test dummy from Mythbusters and let him sass back, then then you've got, I think, all the right elements. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.